You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? You know you do. And that is The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top-notch podcast named Best of Apple in 2018, and has only gotten better. Jordan goes deep with fascinating people, from authors and scientists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. During his discussions, Jordan pulls out tactical bits of wisdom for you to use to become a more informed, critical thinker. You'll learn and have a good time. He's very easy to listen to. My two recent favorites are Episode 972, Mustafa Suleiman, The Coming Wave of Artificial Intelligence, and Episode 843, Ellie Honig, How the Rich Get Away with Crime. You can't go wrong adding The Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, and thank you for listening to The History of World War II Podcast, Episode 448, When an Unstoppable Force Meets an Immovable Object. Last time, the war for Smolensk was just about over. Indeed, Army Group Center's Commander von Bock had declared it so on August 5th. However, there were many moving parts in play that would affect the next few months and thus end up being the beginning of the end of Operation Barbarossa, though it would take a few years to play itself out. First, Hitler was determined to take panzers away from von Bock and send them towards Kiev and Leningrad to wrap up those contests there. And though Guderian and Hoth were not keen on this, they mostly let it go, as they firmly believed that Stalin could not still have adequate forces in between them and Moscow. Thus, the Soviet capital would fall to infantry and artillery alone. Next was a coming clash as both sides made plans for the Yelnia salient, that is, a bit of German-controlled territory that stuck out further than the rest of the front. Hitler had told von Bock that he could launch limited raids from this bulge, while Stalin, on August 1st, ordered Zhukov to destroy that same bulge. It was as close to a counterattack Stalin was going to get for now. But of course, the Soviets did not know that Hitler had also ordered that 10 divisions be used to defend the salient, their closest point to the Russian capital. But as we have seen, as the Battle of Smolensk was coming to an end, the Nazi high command could not agree on the next major objective. Should the three army groups, but certainly the center one, give up on advancing and focus on destroying all enemy troops in front of them? Or should the advance on Moscow continue to cut off the head of the chicken, or 
in this case the Russian bear, which should bring about numerous advantages for the attackers. Yet as we have seen, Hitler won the brow-beating contest before August was over. Moscow would be abandoned. For now, the panzers would flow north and south away from Army Group Center, and the goal now was to destroy the enemy formations in front of them, if only to give von Bock's men in the salient a rest as they were being hammered by the Soviets. And a glimpse of how to carry this out was given to the Germans back on July 13th. With them capturing so many Soviet armies, on that day they learned that Stalin had ordered Timoshenko, the Western Front commander, to attack the German forces which had just taken Smolensk and who were now trying to enclose the Soviet troops in the area. But here, Timoshenko was going to do to the Germans what they had been doing to the Russians since June 22, 1941. Going back a bit, just as the Battle of Smolensk was getting underway, per Zhukov's orders, Timoshenko was to use four armies to surround the Germans themselves, trying to surround Smolensk. As this was Eastern Europe slash Western Asia, there was always going to be enough space to line up your men further afield. However, Timoshenko was to also put aside the 16th, 19th, and 20th armies for any emergency that arose. Plus, he was to create five attack armies. These were to be commanded by NKVD generals and Major General K.K. Roskozovsky's force. Such was the personnel resources of Soviet Russia. As we have seen, the attack around Smolensk was going well for the Germans, but the Soviet counterattack started in earnest on July 23rd when NKVD Lieutenant General V.I. Kachalov and his 28th Army moved out to retake the town of Popchep, located about 35 miles or 56 kilometers southwest of Yelnia. But in order for this staggering amount of troop movements to make any sense, certainly on this massive scale, if one was to draw half of a clock face to the east of Smolensk, to where the Germans would be standing after this battle, should all the area be taken, Popechep is at the 5 o'clock position. With Zhukov making sure this 28th Army, as well as the other ones, were larger than those of the previous counterattacks, which had all failed, Kochalov's men did well at first. Again, they started on July 23rd, and by the 27th, Guderian was getting nervous. His job was to swing north to join up with Hoth's panzers and thus close the circle. But now it looked as if his 10th Panzer Division and the SS Division Großdeutschland might get cut off from the other German units. This was intolerable. So Guderian gathered his forces for his own counter-counter-attack. Just south of where the 28th Army had started their drive, and they were now moving in a northwesterly direction, Guderian had his 14th Panzer Corps, made up of the 3rd and 4th Panzer Divisions, and 7th Army Corps, comprising the 197th, 23rd, and 78th Infantry Divisions, drive east and head again to a point just south of where the 28th Army had started. This was done by July 31st, and the next day, Guderian had his 9th Army Corps, made up of two infantry divisions, drive a bit further south thus creating a partial circle around Kachlov's 28th Army. It would take six more days, but this attack by the 28th Army would stall 
and be mauled in its turn. As for General Kochlov, he would not go the way of a coward, and he died in a tank, leading a charge. But the Germans' nightmares were just beginning. Kochlov had moved out on July 23rd, but the next day, two other NKVD armies joined in. Major General V.A. Komenko's 30th Army, made up of three rifle divisions, a tank regiment, and a fighter regiment, started their drive due north of Yelnia, so at the 2 o'clock position. And just below this 30th Army was Major General S.A. Kalinin's 24th Army of four rifle divisions and one tank battalion. The idea was for Komenko's 30th Army to get the attention of the Germans, which would, hopefully, allow Kalinin's men to penetrate further and faster into enemy territory. Starting at the 3 o'clock position, if Kalinin's men could make progress, they would then be free to turn north and surround the German troops fighting Komenko's men, or they could turn south and get in behind the battlefront, just east of Smolensk. That would cause tons of headaches for von Bock. Unfortunately for Komenko and Kalinin, Flieger Corps 8 had yet to depart to help Army Group North, so they were able to fly over the Russians, mostly unopposed, and maul their mainly infantry attacks. Thus, much would not come from this most hoped-for counterattack. It would be the same for the other, though unofficial, attacking formation, made up of Colonel General Gordovikov's cavalry group, itself three cavalry groups and one rifle division. About 100 miles southwest of Smolensk, this cavalry group started out well enough, given Guderian a headache as this force was in his rear, cutting across his supply route. But as this was trying to achieve something so far in the German rear, other German units made short work of the cavalry. It was the same for another attack far to the north at the 12 o'clock position. This was a lot of failure, but before Stalin could truly go into panic mode about the way to Moscow being open, he learned that the one non-NKVD army, that of Rostkankowski's, had done better. Coming in near the point between the 2 and 3 o'clock, Rokosovsky had the smallest of formations, and it guarded the most important area, that being the road to Moscow. Yet perhaps the non-NKVD officer wanted to prove himself, or because he knew what would happen to him if he failed, if the Germans didn't get him first, this man achieved the most while not being successful. Rushing forward with only two rifle and four artillery regiments, not divisions, these men engaged the Germans. Then the general got a lucky break as he came upon some stragglers of the 38th Rifle Division who had been beaten further west. Also, the general found 90 tanks without a leader. He gave them a leader, himself, and a cause to join him in stopping the enemy from reaching Moscow. Whether Roskozovsky was surprised the Germans were rushing at him is unknown, but not only did his men stop the German advance, soon they turned the enemy around. This was something that the 7th Panzer nor the 20th Motorized Divisions were used to. Neither was von Bock, who sent the 17th Panzer to assist them. As determined as Roskozovsky's men were, the numbers were too much for them. Soon it was the Russians retreating. Besides which, von Bock needed them pushed back, 
For not only did they stand on the road to Moscow, they were intentionally preventing him from closing the Smolensk Circle. But as we have seen, the Russians were pushed back and the circle was closed. Ironically, Timoshenko, who had the job of keeping the circle open so soldiers from previous battles could escape, now had the job of getting his own men out of this latest trap. But as it took a while for Guderian to get on the same page as Hoth, some of these men did escape, as Guderian had been more interested in continuing east versus following orders. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Moving on to the personal level, Hitler, though a troubled and troubling student as a boy, read his history. And going into Russia, he had more than a healthy fear of suffering Napoleon's fate in the vast hinterlands of his latest enemy. And it didn't help that the German high command could not get on the same page as to what to do next. We have seen when Hitler issued his directive number 33 on July 19th, stating that Moscow was now not the main target, that some of the panzers of von Box would be transferred north and south to help with trouble spots in those places. This was all based on the idea of Army Group Center not being a trouble spot. So, it must have appeared that way to Berlin and von Bock, but they were not in Moscow yet. And the idea of what to do next was still not settled, not even with Directive Number 33. So, Hitler issued Directive Number 34 on July 30th. It read in part The development of the situation in the last few days, the appearance of strong enemy forces on the front and to the flanks of Army Group Center the supply position, and the need to give 2nd and 3rd armored groups about 10 days to rehabilitate their units makes it necessary to postpone, for the moment, the further tasks and objectives laid down in Directive No. 33 of 19th July. That Army Group North would continue to attempt to encircle Leningrad and meet up with the Finnish Army. That Army Group Center would go over to the defensive, taking advantage of suitable terrain, but that attacks with limited objectives may be still mounted there. That operations on the southeastern front will, for the present, be conducted only by formations of Army Group South. That the Air Force will switch the main weight of air attacks to the northeastern front. These reinforcements will be moved up in time to go into action at the beginning of the offensive by Army Group North and at its vital point, which was early morning, August 6th. Besides his fear of going the way of Napoleon, Hitler could see for himself that Army Groups North and South 
had been unable to duplicate Center's success of surrounding and destroying large groups of enemy troops. This left von Bock's flanks open to attack. Hence, it didn't make sense to go further with his panzers until at least the south could be locked down and the battle line pushed further, closer to Moscow. And yet, the generals around Hitler still hemmed and hawed as they did not agree with their leader's plans. After all, Blitzkrieg was to cut through an enemy's forces, reach the capital or whatever important point, and end the hostilities quickly. Now, here was Hitler, thinking in more traditional ways of fighting, and the German army simply did not have the manpower, resources, nor supplies for such an endeavor. Thus, the grumbling continued. To wit, Hitler issued his own declaration, as if he needed to explain himself. But apparently, he did. On August 21st, he sent out to all the commands the principal object that must yet be achieved before the onset of winter is not the capture of Moscow, but rather in the south, the occupation of the Crimea and the industrial and coal regions of the Donets. This was his attempt to answer his staff's question, which was namely, we only have enough time and resources for one big push. Where should it be? Per Hitler, it would be in the south. But he still approved offensive actions for Guderian and Hoth. Hitler was making a declaration and then breaking it, which one can do if one is the warlord in question. Either way, Guderian and Hoth were ready to go. Back on July 20th, 46 Panzer Corps under General Heinrich von Wittenhoff had seized a Yelnia bridgehead over the Desna River and strengthened it. By now, the Panzer Corps, as well as the others, were used to this and expected, as always, to start moving again in a few days. After all, that's how it went. There would be a battle for a bridgehead, the Germans would win, and then they would spend the next few days bringing more men across, adding on other pontoon bridges, and cleaning up any enemy activity behind them, and then move on. But times, they were a-changing. There would be no big move in the next few days, or even in the next few weeks, for the Russians were coming. Guderian, like the other generals, like Nazi military philosophy, focused on the offensive. But defense wasn't ignored, just de-emphasized. And up till now, it hadn't been needed all that much. Again, that was about to change. Parts of the 10th Panzer Division and the SS Reich Division were currently holding Yelnia. But before there could be another dash, albeit slower, as many panzers had been moved to the north or south, Temoshenko started in with his attacks. And the plural tense here hardly does it justice. Temoshenko was told by Zhukov, who was ordered by Stalin, to have Soviet troops trapped in the Smolensk pocket, freed by September 8th. So, for the next two weeks, Russian troops came at the town, Yelnia, at least 12 times each and every day. The Germans, now thoroughly subsumed with defensive gestures, won each time. But each time afterward, they had less ammunition. They had less fuel and fewer men. The good news for the Germans was that, as the Smolensk pocket was hard upon, as it was being ruthlessly reduced, 
more and more German infantry were being freed up to help rush to Yelnia to keep the city in German hands. And those men would be needed as it was about to get worse. Because, well, it can always get worse. Hey everyone, Ray here. I've been using Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. And like many of you, I think about my golden years, and I hope they're golden. I have a Roth IRA with Fidelity and another with Merrill, and I have consolidated them into one hub with Yahoo Finance. There, I have access to expert analysis to help me stay atop this ever-changing world. And with Yahoo Finance at my fingertips, I can focus on my goals of paying off my house and getting ready for, you know, me time. And since Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, they know what they're doing. It's the number one finance destination with their independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. So, for comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. By mid-August, most of von Bock's panzers were heading either for Leningrad or Kiev, which forced the 9th and 4th armies to now defend the area. Following the departing panzers, most of Kesselring's two Flieger Corps went with them, and as this was the farthest east the Germans had penetrated, they were just beyond their own supply line, which was the exact opposite for the Russians. With each retreat, their supply lines shrank. And then it happened. The Blitzkrieg, for now, was at an end. Focusing on defense to allow the loaned panzers to do their jobs in the north and south, the Germans gave up the initiative, and Timoshenko caught it before it could even hit the ground. By August 11th, Timoshenko was hitting von Bock along his entire front. The river Vop, north of Yelnia, was crossed by the Soviet 19th Army, which was supported by the 101st Tank Division and 43rd Mixed Aviation Division. Together, they were able to penetrate six miles into German-held territory before being held up themselves by Russian exhaustion and German determination. Meanwhile, as Timoshenko harried the Germans north of Yelnia, Zhukov, now in command of the reserve front, focused on the town itself, which allowed the Soviet 50th and 53rd Cavalry Divisions to get into the German rear to cause all kinds of hell. And very few German soldiers during this time along the front were spared from this hell. For the next two weeks, German soldiers could not remember a time when they were not being bombed or strafed or watching enemy parachutists come down behind them or fighting off maddening attacks or surviving hours-long artillery bombardments. And as Yelnia was to have been a temporary stop only before Hitler won against his generals, it was not suited for defense. Whatever the Germans did to hold the Soviets at bay, they would have to do on their own. Yet this tale of woe was about to come to an end, and not a happy one for the Germans. On August 30th, following a three-hour artillery barrage, and remember, the Soviets had more pieces than did the Germans, 
Soviet forces charged forward and pushed back the German 23rd Infantry Division some six miles, which was bad enough. But the number of German men and equipment being lost in each process was too much. This was not sustainable. So, on September 2nd, von Braulich, Halder, and von Bock all agreed Yelnia was to be abandoned. The 9th and 20th German Army Corps pulled back on September 5th, which allowed the Soviet 100th, 103rd, 309th, and 120th Rifle Divisions to re-enter Yelnia. Stalin, for once, got his way. As for the loaned panzers that went north and south, in early September, Army Group North, now reinforced, reached the suburbs of Leningrad and cut the city from any and all land communications. And to the south, the soon-to-be-over Battle of Kiev was not only another German victory, but the largest one to date, with two-thirds of a million troops being trapped in this Kessel, or pocket. And this Kessel was the size of Belgium. To Guderian and Hoth, this looked like Hitler was clearing the flanks of Army Group Center, so they could continue to push towards Moscow. And it seemed they were right. On September 6th, with the Battle of Kiev ending in another 20 days, and that seemed a foregone conclusion, Hitler issued Directive Number 35, which stated in part, The flanking army groups have created the prerequisites for conducting a decisive operation against Army Group Timoshenko, and Hitler wanted this done ASAP so that we can go on the offensive in the general direction of Vyazma and destroy the enemy in the region east of Smolensk by double envelopment. After destroying the main mass of Timoshenko's group of forces in decisive encirclement operations, Army Group Center will begin pursuing enemy forces along the Moscow axis. With this, von Bock was only too happy to realize that Guderian and his panzers would be returning just as soon as Kiev was beaten down. And from the north, he would also receive the return of Colonel General Hopner's 4th Panzer Group. But not only was Army Group Center to destroy the forces in front of them, they were to make sure that nothing of significance made it back to Moscow, thus leaving it relatively undefended. Time would tell. Greetings, everyone, from Central Virginia. So I just want to say hello to some members and thank those who have donated. Let's see here. Latest members, Melanie Jacobs from Folsom, California. Thank you, Melanie. Uh, Nicholas, is it Nearhood? Nearhood, I believe, from Graham, Washington. Thank you, Nicholas. And he also wrote to me. Thank you very much. As far as those who have donated, making this Christmas a little brighter, and I certainly do appreciate it, um, Jeffrey Meredith. Also, there was Dale Fowler, uh, and I think Dale has donated before. Thank you, Dale. Scott Wilson, and again, Nicholas Nearhood. Nearhood. Sorry, Nicholas, I keep butchering that. And you even sent me an email on how to pronounce your name. That's how embarrassed I am right now. Let's see here. And then there's my favorite one, Poeticus Program College Bound. Um, I hope someone is bound for college and they listen to the show. So whoever, thank you very much. There's also Ken Johnston and 
Mateusz Dirks. So if I'm overpronouncing that, I normally underpronounce it. I apologize, but that's what it said on Google. So I'm going with it. And lastly, I would like to make a special mention of Eli Vanderlee, um, who is from Eaton Rapids, Michigan. He sent me a very nice email. Thank you very much, Eli. And I hope everybody has a wonderful Christmas, even if you don't deserve it. I certainly don't. Uh, And a happy new year and spend time with your friends and family because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Take care, everyone. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.